The Bob Murphy Show, episode 67. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Walter Block and William Barnett. They are both distinguished economists who teach at Loyola University in New Orleans in the College of Business there. And they're both affiliated with the Mises Institute. Also, you know, Walter Block is sort of a giant in libertarian circles. Among other things, he's written the book Defending the Undefendable, which I'm sure many of you read at some point in your infancy getting into libertarian theory. So the topic of today's interview is their article that came out in 2006, the title of it is On Hayekian Triangles. In the journal, it's in Spanish, and so my rough translation with the aid of my son who takes Spanish, I think it's something like Market Process, the Journal of Political Economy, something like that. And it's volume three, number two, the fall, and the page numbers are 39 to 141, just to give you an idea of how long this article is. Obviously, the link to this article and other things that are of relevance will be at bobmurphyshow.com slash 67. Let me also mention, just in the interest of full transparency and disclosure, the reason I'm covering this particular topic right now in the podcast is one of my large donors to the Bob Murphy Show thought this was a very unappreciated or underappreciated contribution to the literature, and he wanted to know if I could interview these guys just to help bring attention to what he thought was a very important paper. And since I was aware of the paper and thought they made some good points, so yeah, sure. So that's what happened, just so you know. So as far as me giving an introduction here, it's the kind of thing where if you don't really know what the Hayekian Triangle is, you're not going to get too much out of this discussion. And I think it would be kind of silly for me to try to teach it to you on the front end. So let me just go through very quickly some of the context here to sort of jog your memory in case you have encountered this before. So Hayek, when he was trying to explain how it was that changes in the interest rate affect the structure of production, and so this would be like in his book Prices in Production and in his Pure Theory of Capital, for example, where he lays some of this stuff out, he had this, a, a diagram and time flowed from the top down on the vertical axis and the value of the goods in process sort of went from left to right on the x-axis. And that was the same structure or diagrammatic approach that Rothbard used in Man, Economy, and State. And so one of the things I'll link to in the show notes page here is my discussion of this of that diagram by Rothbard and then my extension of it in the study guide that I wrote for the Mises Institute for Man, Economy, and State. All right, so if you want to sort of quickly get up to speed with the stuff we're talking about in this interview, if you read my chapter 
in the study guide I did for Man, Economy, and State, where Rothbard has this diagram, his version of it, that probably would be enough for you to get a lot out of this interview. I'll put it that way. But strictly speaking, where um, what we're taking as the starting point in this discussion is Roger Garrison's use of the Hayekian Triangle. And one of the innovations Garrison did was he rotated it. And so in Garrison's exposition that probably most Austrian economists who are under 50, let's say, um, nowadays would adhere to and what they think of automatically if you say, what's the Hayekian Triangle? They're probably actually imagining what Roger Garrison did with it. And so in that version, Garrison's version, it's a right triangle, but the the 90-degree angle is on the right side on the bottom, okay? And and so then on the left side is where the tr- the tip of the triangle starts at the, you know, zero point. And then, you know, the triangle, the hypotenuse is on the top, you know, going from left to right, going upward at an, at an angle. And so there, in, in Garrison's view, time is going from left to right on the x-axis, and that also corresponds to the stages of production. So on the far left, you've got something like mining. Then as you move to the right, it's manufacturing. As you move to the right, it's wholesale. As you move to the right, it's retail. As you move to the right, then it's final consumption. So that's kind of the way it works. And the value of the goods in process at any given time is gauged by the height of the triangle at that point. Okay, and so as you move from left to right, the triangle keeps getting taller and taller, and that's supposed to show that as the goods are rolling over because of aging and also because other inputs are added, then you know the value of those goods in process keeps getting higher and higher. Um, one little complication is I think Rothbard's diagram makes it more explicit about how additional doses of natural resources and labor can come in as the goods are moving through the pipeline. Whereas in Garrison's version, I mean, I think that's implicit in there, but from the diagram itself, you wouldn't know that. All right. So that's why it might actually get you up to speed more quickly if you just read my study guide chapter. Also, because my study guide is a free PDF online, whereas um, you can't get Garrison's book, Time and Money, for free, but you can get his PowerPoints for free. And so I'll make sure in the show notes page to link you to Garrison's phenomenal PowerPoint presentations talking about this stuff. So the big picture, what happens is if the banking system pumps in artificial credit or unbacked credit and that makes interest rates fall, what happens to the triangle? What happens to the structure of production that the triangle represents? And the angle, the slope of the triangle falls, right? Because the the slope of that hypotenuse on the Hayekian triangle in Garrison's version of it corresponds to the interest rate, right? So that the higher the interest rate, the more rapidly the value of the goods in process rises per unit time. And so if, you know, if the height of the triangle at any point represents the market value at that slice, then, you know, the higher the interest rate, the steeper the triangle is. So when the interest rate falls, the new triangle is shallower than the first one, than the original one, but it's also wider. And so that's the way Hayek tries to show this is how, you know, the structure of production changes. And this corresponds to Bumbavirk's original approach where a lower interest rate corresponds to a more roundabout production process where 
the original factors of production, land and labor, or natural resources and labor, the doses of those that get inputted into the production process are tied up for longer before the final consumption good comes out of the end of the pipeline. And so Mabavrishu, that's why as a society grows richer, the time preference falls. I'm using more modern Austrian terminology. That corresponds to a fall in market interest rates, and that leads entrepreneurs to adopt longer, more roundabout production processes. And the payoff from that is that you get more physical output per unit of physical input. And so that is why societies that save and accumulate more capital goods end up having a higher standard of living. Okay, so I'm taking a lot of shortcuts here, this little exposition. This is a huge area. This is what my dissertation was on, for example, but that's the gist of it. Okay, so that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And you can see how that ties in with Mises business cycle theory, where if the interest rate is wrong, it leads to an unsustainable lengthening of the structure of production. I'm sort of mixing Misesian and Hayekian terminology there. And again, Garrison thinks he can explain the Misesian Hayekian business cycle theory to a neoclassical economist using the Hayekian triangle in conjunction with a PPF and then the loanable funds market diagram and things like that that the neoclassical economist already has in his toolbox. All right, so that's probably a good spot for me to stop with my summary. And without further ado, well, so what happened is Block and Barnett wrote an article critical of the Hayekian triangle, and they listed 14 separate objections and then another curveball. Walter ends up concluding that let's just keep all these problems in mind as we continue to use the this concept as a pedagogical device, whereas Bill Barnett thinks, no, this thing is unsalvageable. There's too much wrong with it. Let's just get rid of it. We don't need it. Okay. And so that's the starting point now for this discussion I had with Walter Block and Bill Barnett. Hope you like it. Well, welcome Walter and Bill to the Bob Murphy Show. Glad to have you here. Thanks for inviting us. Our pleasure to be with you. So now as I explained to you guys before we just started recording here, I have separately introduced the concept to the listeners so they should have a basic understanding of what the Hayekian Triangle is. And if, and if they don't know, they probably skip this episode anyway. So this is for the, the true geeks out there who really care about this stuff. So your article list, listed 14 separate objections or concerns you had with the use of the Hayekian Triangle. And so I, I don't know, how do you want to proceed? Do you want to go through them sequentially or do you want to focus on the ones that you think are the most pertinent? I'll leave that decision up to you guys. Well, I'll give some background. Okay. Uh, this paper is all Bill's fault. Okay. <laughs> I was a Hayekian triangular. Mm -hmm. That's a verb, I guess, uh, triangular. And um, I greatly appreciated Roger Garrison's uh, flipping the triangle on its side in an attempt to uh, make it more amenable to our colleagues in the profession who are not Austrians, because uh, time is usually on the uh, horizontal axis. And Bill, a snarky fellow that he is, kept giving me critiques of the triangle. And I kept saying, no, no, no. But I always think in terms of the triangle. Whenever I think of the business cycle theory, I think in, in those terms. And uh, Bill finally uh, won me over. Uh, and as you say, we had uh, 14 uh, critiques of the triangle. And I guess for me, the most pertinent one is what we really want is not a triangle. What we want is a, a vertical line. Mm-hmm. 
namely we want instantane, and that's one of the 14 uh, criticisms, but that's the one I guess that I'll start with and then Bill can start with a few others. Um, because we really want instantaneous stuff. We want manna from heaven instantaneously. And this idea that the triangle has to get uh, longer and narrower when the interest rate goes down because of the uh, time preference uh, falling uh, is uh, highly problematic given that what we want is not a, a low, thin triangle with a low interest rate given low time preferences, but we want a vertical line. So that's one problem with the triangle. Can, can you elaborate? When you say what we want, do you mean as acting individuals or do you mean as economists? As acting individuals. In other words, okay. a, a, a vertical line would say that the time from the time that somebody, a consumer wanted something till the time they got it was instantaneous. Mm -hmm. the, the, the period of production, if you want to use that horrible term, is instantaneous. And that's what we would like. You, right now, you say, uh, I want a steak dinner. Boom, there it is. It, you know, that's, see, and that would show that the time dimension would be shortened to zero, not stretched out along the horizontal axis. We want post-scarcity, well, not post-scarcity no. anarchy, but post-scarcity economy. <laughs> right, and you would want the, you would want the horizontal, the, the vertical axis to be as high as each individual wanted, you know, depending on what they wanted. You know, you may want a steak dinner. Somebody else may say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly happy. I don't want anything. Well, then theirs would be low. I think two things you need to look at here, Bob, two big ones. Walter hit on, you know, sort of the um, ultimate, you know, what if, if, if we had post-scarcity, you know, mm -hmm. what, what we would look at. I think there's but looking at the triangle from a technical point of view and from the way it's always been used, uh, I think there's two big problems. One runs throughout anything having to do with macroeconomics, and that is uh, aggregation. Mm -hmm. the, the, the aggregation that's going on in that triangle is just absurd. Okay, that's the first thing. But the second thing, and this is what really uh, – one of the things that really got to me – if you think about the triangle and the way we show it, you know, Garrison shows it in his book. This is where it always does. You have a triangle and uh, then we say, OK, well, let's see what happens if the interest rate goes down. Right. So instead of you having a steep uh, hypotenuse, the hypotenuse becomes flatter. But notice that the hypotenuse then stretches out further to the left. Mm -hmm. OK, well, the original I mean, if you think about it, what you're doing is, is looking at the end product, the consumption, the value of consumption at the, on the vertical uh, axis, you know, all the way to the right. And what you're doing is backing up in time. And so that is completely inconsistent with Austrian understanding of economics. If you're going to try and show it that way, Instead of having the two triangles coterminous to the right side at, you know, where the vertical axis and where the consumption, so that you're comparing amounts of consumption, you know, and, and with different time periods, what you have to do is make the triangles coterminous on the horizontal axis at some point, you know, over to the left, and they, that's where production would start. Because production is always forward-looking. Human action is all forward-looking. So then what you would say is you would have a triangle 
And then you say, oh, well, what happens if the interest rate goes down? Well, you'd go back to the same point in time and say, well, if the interest rate went down, starting at that point in time, we'd have a triangle with a, um, a lower slope, okay, uh, you know, smaller, the smaller angle. And then you would say, well, and, and what does that do in, in, in the general thinking? I mean, there are various ways you could look at it. And we talk about, we show various triangles in the article would be that it would extend past. In other words, that the, the time period would be longer. But during that period, the amount of consumption, the vertical height would be smaller. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. In the, in the interim period. In the interim. But the whole point of investing is to do one of two things or a combination, and that is to get more out of the same, you know, uh, during the same period of production, if we can use that, to get more output or to get the same output in a shorter time period, you know, of having resources invested. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I mean, the article goes into that. We even give an example, a mathematical, I say a mathematical, it's an arithmetical example in there about, you know, this idea that, you know, they never show the third triangle. They show the initial triangle and then they show the one when the interest rate goes down. But that's to misunderstand what's going on, why people are doing this. Yeah, hopefully there should be a third triangle. And the third triangle would show that either... We get the same amount with less time or more with the same time uh, because that's the whole point of uh, putting off consumption, and yet we don't see that. Yeah. Um, Uh, Or or some combination of the two. Can I – let me summarize back just to uh, crystallize, I hope, what you guys just – and then tell me if I'm saying something wrong. So if I understand you're saying the way that, you know, Garrison – and by the way – we're picking on Garrison. I assume you guys would agree because he's got the best exposition of this. So yes, it's, it's yes. we're saying oh, that you know this is not the, the yeah. only one. By, yeah, by but this, this is just, yeah. The, we're, it's it's the easy talk, right? Um, and certainly the one that most Austrians use. I like just when when Ben Powell and I were when I I was helping him with an Austrian class for the PhD level. Um, yeah. you know, we use Garrison's book for the, for this kind of stuff. So this is certainly, yeah. we're not picking on a straw man here No, and we're not saying Garrison did something dumb. We're saying he's using the triangle the way, you know, Austrians intended to be used. Not only not dumb, but I think it's an improvement because he wanted to make Austrian economics more amenable, more accessible to right. mainstream people. Mm-hmm. Mainstream people always put time on the uh, horizontal axis. Right. And uh, the Hayekian and Rothbardian triangle uh, had time on, on the vertical axis, which sort of skews everything. Right. By the way, I, I, I once did ask Roger to comment on our paper, and he gave me a, a three – not a three-word, but a three comments. He said, triangles today – Triangles tomorrow, triangles forever. Uh, copying the uh, right. Alabama governor about segregation, yeah. which I thought was very charming, but yeah. still I was sort of unhappy that you know, to, to me the triangle is sort of the essence of uh, the Hayekian, uh, Rothbardian, uh, Austrian business cycle theory. Right. And here we have a frontal attack on it, and the thing came out what 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And nobody, you're the first one. Nobody else has uh, commented on it or criticized it or said anything about it. It's sort of like uh, uh, down the memory hole. So I'm delighted, Bob, mm-hmm. that you have shown an interest in this. And, and if I could add one thing to what you were saying about uh, Roger, um, you know what Roger, you know, he 
as Walter says, you know, rotated the thing 90 degrees, you know, to get the axes, which make more sense to us, the dependent variable on the horizontal axis and the, uh, or rather the independent variable on the horizontal axis and the dependent variable on the vertical. So he did a great thing there. But the way he drew the triangles with the um, the outputs, the you know, measured as mm. consumer goods in monetary terms, where those two, uh, uh, you know, are uh, coterminous, they, they, you know, but the idea that the lower interest rate stretches the triangle out further, you know, makes the time period longer. That's straight out of Hayek and uh, and Rothbard. Right. I mean, they that. So it's not like we're picking on Roger or anything like that. I mean, right. you know. Right. Okay. So let me summarize and, and tell me if I'm accurately representing at least the the two substantive things you said a couple minutes ago. So I, I took you to be saying the way this is normally depicted, certainly in Garrison, and as you say, I think it's it's entirely consistent with Rothbard does in Man, Economy, and State, and what Hayek yeah. does in some of his papers, is yeah. um, you know, you've got the original triangle where in an original equilibrium, the interest rate is some number. Now time preferences fall, the market clearing interest rate falls, and then the way they usually show how that changes the triangle right away is that its left point moves more to the left. And yes. so are you as so as one of the things you're saying that well actually if you're gonna do that, it would make more sense to have it start at the same point and then just go further to the right to show that the going forward the production periods lengthen. It's not that you like went in a time machine backwards. Is that one of the things you're saying? That that is exactly one of the things we're saying, but not only when you say it makes more sense, I'm gonna I hate to be this way, but <laughs> That makes sense. The other way of doing it doesn't make sense because the other way of saying if we lower the interest rate, we can go back in time. Right. Okay. It, mm. And we can. Right. So yeah, I guess I, I get you there. I, that, I, regard, I regard that as a minor, uh, relatively minor point. I don't. Well, Bill, what does Bill know about this? <laughs> uh, I, I would say the solution is, well, just make the triangle the other way. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say it's minor. Uh, by the way, I still think in terms of the triangle when I think about uh, business cycle theory. Mm -hmm. So even though I've criticized it, I still, I, I'm, I've been so trained in the right. triangle, yeah. for, you know, for many, many years. Uh, but I regard that as minor because, okay, so the solution to that is, well, let us just extend it the other way. Fine. But I think our paper is way deeper. That. I do too, but but when you say fine, just you know make the the left point coterminous and have it stick out further to the right. What happens when you do that? It points out that that second triangle can't be anything except a transition phase, right. because otherwise you'd be saying, look, we're going to take a longer period of time to produce less. and yeah, less goods. The consumption value is going to be less. And so just doing that forces you to think the way the Austrians think, mm -hmm. which is that all action is forward-looking and all production is forward-looking and saying, so what? So we would really reduce our, our time preference falls, We the interest rate mm -hmm. goes down, we extend the period of production for a longer period, and we get less goods. Okay, yeah, so let me, so you're hitting on the, the second main point that, you know, you made, Bill, five minutes ago when you went off there for a second, is you're saying, okay, so that's one thing that the way they depict this normally is the interest rate falls, the triangle, it wrote, like the angle on the left side of the triangle goes down, and that's the whole point that the slope of the triangle is supposed to somehow reflect the interest rate. 
And so the the angle's narrower or smaller. And so, and then they, you know, they move it left, but you're saying instead, really, you should be having the right side go out further forward to the right. And then you're saying the other thing is in that immediate switch, you know, in the new quick equilibrium there immediately in the, in the short run, let's call it the height of the, like going all the way to the right at the consumer good, what they would call the consumer good stage. Now the height of that triangle is lower, right? Because the thing, you know, the angle has shrunk. And so if you stop and say, wait a second, the whole point of time preference is falling and engaging in a longer period of production having or having more stages or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, the whole point is you should be, what you're trading off is, oh yeah, I got to wait longer, but I'm going to get more stuff. And yet in this very diagrammatic exposition, it's showing you the value of consumption goods is lower. And so prima facie, you're like, well, then why are we doing that? That seems stupid. And, 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 and so that forces you to mm-hmm. say, well, wait, that interim period that when you're saving an investment goes up, that's an interim thing. Once the new capital goods come online, which is the whole purpose of the saving, right, mm-hmm. so that we'll have more capital goods, once that comes online, the period of production will shorten. The, 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 the vertical, you know, will come back, but the angle will get greater which means we have higher time preference now based on the angle being steeper. But the reason I say this is all, I won't say superficial, but not the essence of it, because our paper is saying the triangle itself is problematic. Right. Here, all we're doing is just saying, well, you should uh, twitch it or, you know, fix it up a little bit this way, make a third triangle. But uh, our paper is deeper than that. Okay. Deeper than saying uh, we need a third triangle or the triangle should start coterminous on mm-hmm. the left, the right. We should get rid of the triangle entirely and and build a piece of it. Yeah. So, and, and that's why don't we go ahead and deal with that thing right at this moment? Because clearly, with a lot of this stuff, um, you know, like if, if you're trying to teach comparative advantage, I don't know if you guys. Although that's here, I'll ask you. I'm curious. Do you ever do like a two good two country model? just to get across, you know, the Ricardian point. Yeah. Okay. And then somebody could say, oh, well, come on, in the real world, there's more than two yeah. goods and two co-. And then, you know, the obvious response is, okay, but we're trying to isolate just the essence of this idea. Yeah. So here, yeah. you know, you're, you're, am I taking, both of you agree that after, we're going to enumerate some more of them, but there's so many problems with this thing that it gets to the point where whatever intuition it's giving you is swamped by all these problems and you think we should just not use it anymore? That's Bill's view. Okay. Yes. We, 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 we in the article at the end, <laughs> mm-hmm. we say, you know, one of us who really doesn't understand this <laughs> <laughs> thinks that, that, that it's salvageable as a pedagogical device. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other of us becomes a purist, a, a Rothbardian, and <laughs> says, no, we're going to be pure. An Austrian. <laughs> One's a neoclassical and one's an Austrian by the end of this thing. (laughs) I think there's a disanalogy between the two good, uh, two country model and the triangle. There's nothing wrong with the two good, two good triangle, except it's very simple. Right. But what's wrong with simplicity, Occam's Mm. razor, all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're saying that the uh, triangle is uh, problematic to its core. Sure. And yet, weirdo that I am, I still use Mm. it. I still Certainly, we have to teach it, right? Because it's part of our, our tradition, right? Uh, so I'm I'm a little I would say self contradictory, although Bill might say that yeah. I am self contradictory. I'm <laughs> saying it's wrong from the get go, and yet I still, as a heuristic device, uh, get something out of it. it. Another example of Walter the moderate block. It really is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, as we're joking around here, let me just mention 
this is yet another example of why Austrian economics is not a cult. You know what I mean? Like we're sitting here having fundamental disagreements and so on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I agree with that. Oh, absolutely. I can't even spell cult. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, uh, we've, uh, we all criticize each other. Murray yeah. criticized Mises. I've criticized Murray. Hans criticized me. I criticize him. I think you and I have disagreed on Hans's um, uh, argument from argument. Mm -hmm. We're all disagreeing with each other, yet we're all friendly. Uh, uh, it's absolutely not a cult. And I think that's a vicious smear of Austrian economics. Yeah. I think another thing, Bob, to go, I think, where you were going about some of the more fundamental things rather than – number one, it, it, it's typical uh, macro uh, – mainstream macro in the sense of over-aggregation. Mm -hmm. Aggregation is a, a problem, period, in macro, okay? I don't care whether it's the C on the vertical axis, how do you measure that, how do you measure consumption, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then you get into the issue of price indices and all that. So uh, I think that's part of it, the uh, the over-aggregation issue. I think the uh, another big thing is if you if you look, there's a confusion on the horizontal axis about what are we measuring there? Are we measuring stages of production or are we measuring time? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the, the whole concept of stages of production, uh, I guess – you know, please, Bombavik, don't roll over in your grave. But the whole concept is um, faulty from the word go. It's mm -hmm. incoherent. What What is the stage of production? Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you look at, um, I guess it's Garrison in one place. You know, he starts. You know, well, mining, manufacturing. You know, something, re whatever. Wholesale retail. Yeah, wholesale retail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean. You know, that's just not it, okay? That's not the way the world is. So you can't talk about stages of production in a meaningful sense, in my opinion. Um, can, can, can I make a – can I ask – can we hold – because this is a separate issue. Let me just circle back to do one last thing on the previous one about the, the triangle and like being a, a sort of intermediate one, and you're saying there's got to be a third one. Because I think mm -hmm. that's a – because I realized I was – when I would teach this stuff – I think I would do what you guys are saying. And when I wrote the study guide for man, economy and state on Rothbard's version of, it, I think I said a similar thing um, because I, so tell me if you agree with this, I think the way Hayek or, or Rothbard and maybe Garrison would handle the objection. You just said that, wait a minute in the immediate response to a, uh, sorry, a fallen time preferences. And then the, ver the vertical height of the right side of the triangle goes down. So then you wonder what's the point. I think what Hayek would get at, and this was that famous thing where there was like the essay contest to explain if people save more and so there's less spending, then how, you know, how does that not make the economy contract? And, and there was like a, there was like a prize given to the winner and Hayek went through and reviewed all the essay answers and said, actually, no one's really given the right answer to this question. And, you know, so he is a non-Keynesian thought that it was a silly, or that it was a wrong-headed question. Yeah. And so I, I think that what, they're trying to capture there is to say right away, if there's just a total, you know, there's looking like the national income accounts. If people all of a sudden save more than spent like total consumption spending across the economy does drop. And so, yes, spending in the last stage on consumption does go down and that's the immediate impact. But then notice once you start that longer chain of production over time, it, it builds up. So is what, so tell me if you think this is what they would say, and then you can respond. I think they would say the immediate newly configured triangle that you're calling the intermediate one is just showing the spending across the various stages, as it were, 
does change. And yep, spending on consumption has gone down, but then over t- but now we start running the clock in real time. And then, you know, the, the, those goods, you know, over, are rolling over. And then I guess I, the triangle over time gets fuller or something. <laughs> so it's just well, a lot more okay. complex than the, than the, the this, two static yes, pictures shows. That, yeah. That, uh, who's your audience? Can I say damned? Yeah. Uh, no no <laughs> F-bombs, so but yeah, you can, you can say okay. damn. <laughs> it's, it's so simple mm-hmm. that it's simplistic, Bob. So, so think about this. The, and this is part of the problem. The On that horizontal axis, you can have stages of production or you can have time. Stages of production we throw out because it's a meaningless concept. It's incoherent. So you have time. But, but the problem is what's going on in the country or, or the economy at any given time is not one production process. Mm-hmm. So you can take that, and, you know, Walter uses this example, and I, I use it for certain things in my class, but I'm, 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 and I'm sure Walter is equally uh, careful when he does this. Um, you know, well, you know, here's the tree that's growing, you know, and the, as you go out to the right, the value added increases until at the end point you have the full value of the tree or the wine aging or whatever it is, right? But in a real world where we produce not, you know, we're not just reliant on natural growth of trees or wine aging or something, but we're producing automobiles and houses and all kinds of crazy things. Um, then what happens is you, if you draw one triangle, that's a production process for one good. Mm-hmm. So then you have to, at the same time, you're starting other necessarily at the same time, but you're starting other production processes at the same time, which have different terms to maturity, you know, where the uh, consumer goods come out and all that. So, and then you have, if you had the triangle, you said, we're trying to show the the real economy. So you draw your first triangle and say, we're going to do this before interest rates change. Well, so you say, well, they got to, starting at that left point, You've got, uh, uh, you know, if everybody's got the same interest rate, which they don't in the real world, so the triangle goes up and comes down, but it comes down at different points because one thing takes a week to produce, the other takes two weeks or, or, or whatever. So you have uh, you have that going on, but then you have to say, well, wait a minute. Now as we go out to the right after one day, we're starting another production process, you see, mm-hmm. with another triangle, even if the angle is the same, you know, and all that. So you can't catch the complexity of the real world with this simplistic triangle. And there's another thing that goes on there, which they can't. Uh, you know, I was um, rereading some Lachman today for whatever reason, and Lachman makes the point that in the real world, these production plans aren't fulfilled. Some are, but some aren't. And he makes the point that we have multi-specific, heterogeneous capital goods out there. Right. And with these multi-specific, heterogeneous capital goods, you get started on a production process and realize this isn't working, this isn't the right way to go something, and then you reallocate the capital goods. And, And to say, well, You know, we can't, you know, the triangle doesn't show it. Of course the triangle doesn't show it. But are we to say that that's not important? And, oh, never mind, Uh, the triangle is such a nice little thing that we're going to use it anyway 
um, because it's it's a nice little thing. And if, another point I want to make that we made in here, I think right near the end was, well, if you're going to use a triangle, think about it. You don't need that vertical line at the end of anything. All you need is, you know, it's a, what do we call it, a Cartesian, you know, space, two-dimensional Cartesian. Euclidean, I think. No, Cartesian. Cartesian. I'm talking about the Cartesian. A two-dimension Cartesian space. Well, all you need, if if, let's say that you you start with zero resources, which, of course, is nonsense. So the point about a triangle, you know, is wrong right there. It should be some sort of uh, a four-dimension figure, you know. Mm -hmm. Trapezoid. A trapezoid, which starts above the horizontal axis at the left end, Okay. So at any rate, if you if you look at that, you say, well, even if it starts on the axis, that line, which would describe all of the production in the economy, would be a line of the form C equals, and assuming that, you know, if it's if if we have uh even something as sophisticated as US interest rates rather than, you know, constant interest rate discrete. discrete uh the, the the thing would just be C equals um some whatever it was. E to the KT, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's all it would be. Or otherwise, it would just be C equals uh, AT, where A, you know, uh, as you go out, Tom. So in other words, in other words the, the, the thing with the, with the triangle, the only thing that's important about the triangle is the hypotenuse. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that's important about it. Well, if, if it's a straight line, you can write that with one simple equation. A straight line, even if it's not a straight line, if it's curved, you know, if it's an exponential curve, you can write that with one equation. So this is the typical stuff with the mainstream. We're going to make this so simple because we can explain it to people and they'll think they understand it or something. When it's so much more complex than that, that it's it, it's unbelievable. And so to say, well, we're going to catch the complexity of the production of a modern economy with one equation, Bob, one equation. We might as well go back and say, okay, we're all uh, soloists, you know, Mm. and we're going to use the solo equation, right? (laughs) Let's take a break from my interview with Walter Block and William Barnett to mention my book, Choice. This is what I wrote for the Independent Institute, roughly 300 pages, and my task, my mission, was to distill the essence of Ludwig von Mises' book, Human Action, down into a 300-ish page book that an undergraduate economics major could plausibly read. And I would like to say that I succeeded in that goal. And the reason I'm mentioning it on this interview is it's, of course, relevant. If you like the stuff that we're talking about here, um, choice is where I did my best to take you from scratch, right? So the book doesn't assume any prior knowledge of economics at all, let alone Austrian economics. And if you'll just walk with me through the chapters, none of which is particularly difficult, by the end of that book choice, you will fully understand the scope and power of Mises' theory of the business cycle, which is what we're talking about here in this episode. For more details, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash choice. Yeah, so let me you when you're talking about the stages of production so tell me I know you you guys get into the thing I'm about to say here and I'm not sure you know which of your 14 points captures this but I know you made this point and and certainly I've encountered this when just trying to explain it to an undergraduate class that 
to come up with and to try to show like, oh, what do we mean when we talk about the first stage? You know, I said, I said something like, oh, well, like planting wheat, you know, and so you use like loaves of bread are going to be the final consumer good. And there you can walk through planting the wheat. And then, you know, you send it to the miller and he sends the grain to the baker and he blah, blah, blah. But even there, nobody plants wheat with their bare hands in a modern economy. And, and, and of course, you know, we're not saying something Bumbavrk himself didn't know. And he tried to, you know, grapple with this stuff. But it is it, it is difficult it, right out of the out of the shoot, like you're saying, it's not even like you can come up with one example that actually works, because in anything, it's you're not starting with the raw, you know, forces of production, you know, nature and labor. It's step one, and then you're just saying, oh, now we're going to have more stages because you'd have to go back in time to the Stone Age to actually get yeah, a pre-capitalistic. But even if you start right. now, the stage. Right. In other words, what is a stage? Is it when you throw uh, sow one seed, or when you sow? Two seeds? I mean, what is the stage? You know, I, I'm serious. I mean, what we're talking about is human action, and human action is discrete in that sense. You know, one human action after another through time. Mm-hmm. Well, each human action, if we're talking about production, is a stage of production. Another minor problem is you can't have one axis do two things. Yeah. The vertical axis is money, fine. The horizontal axis is stages of production and also time. And the, Again, that's a superficial problem because if you want to eradicate the uh, the triangle entirely, that's the deep problem. Right. But if you want to fix it up, you can say, okay, well, we'll drop stages. We'll just keep time. That would be a, a solution. Okay, we'll use a trapezoid instead of a triangle. Fine. We'll make the, uh, the left side uh, contiguous, uh, not the right side. Fine. Those are all sort of uh, ways of, uh, uh, what do you call it, putting uh, – uh, uh, Lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a pig or yeah. – uh, uh, I don't know, a, a Band-Aid on a cancer patient or something like that. Uh, you got to go more deeply. And one of the ways that we go deeply is we say, well, if we're not going to use the triangle, what should we use? And the answer is elasticity. Okay, let me, be, before you, but, but, can but, I ask wait, 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 about... One, well, just one thing I want to make, yeah. and this goes to what he's saying right there. What are you going to use? Well, Mark Skousen, okay, has a book out. It's, I don't know, it's in the second edition, I think, or whatever. Uh, what's the name of Skousen's book? You know the book I'm talking about? Go. No, no. This is a his book on macroeconomics, wow. basically. Do you know the book I'm talking about? Uh, uh, I, I think I do know, and the name, the title's escaping me. All right, so, so, but somewhere in there, he's got this thing about the production process. I think it had to do with oil, you know, getting crude oil and, and turning it into refined products or something. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it and you think about it, the complexity of something that we think of as that simple and that necessary. Oh, I want gasoline for my car, you know, production process, you know, well, we get crude oil and we refine it, you know, there's mm-hmm. another stage and then we, we sell it, you know, come on, give me a break. You know, I mean, it's so, it, it, when I saw that, I said, I don't know. And he did, uh, you know, cite wherever he got it from or something. But I said, boy, this is really the kind of thing that people need to look at for this one good. Right. To see how complex the production process is. And I think, you know, underneath it all, that's that's the critical thing, how complex the production process is. Including, you know, when when you know you you get through with this and you say, "Oh God, they wasted a lot of time on this." <laughs> we'll just cut some of this out, you know, and redirect that capital, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere else. Right. <laughs> so, and even there, that 
that sort of underscores the point I was just making that if you think of, okay, yeah, if the final consumer good is gasoline that a consumer's pumping into his car, let's say, yeah. then when you say, what's the beginning of that process, you, you might say, oh, well, it's out drilling for oil somewhere, crude oil. But no, you're using a lot of complex capital equipment to do that. And so, you know, that, that drilling rig is the output of some long roundabout process from in some other firm's perspective. Exactly. But that's why if you're going to try and use a figure like the um, like the triangle, it has to be a trapezoid because at any you can't go back. You know, the past is immutable. You can't go back. to So, well, what had to happen to do all this? But you got to start. Production is forward-looking. We start today, and we have to start with the resources we have right now. And that means that the value we start with is not zero. It's some vertical amount, you see, on that mm -hmm. dollar axis. And then goes up after that as you start to, to produce using the stock of resources that you already have. But to say it goes back to zero is just nonsense. It's like you say, you, you trace that all the way back. I mean, we're going to go get Cain and Abel in on this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and you're perfectly right about that. But but I always tell my students, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't go back past this very second. And this second is moving forward all the time, the present, the ever-changing mm -hmm. present. We can't go back. The past is immutable. And we're always, I, I draw a little triangle, you know, pointed thing like a mountaintop. Mm -hmm. And I show somebody walking and the mountaintop is moving. The whole thing's moving. I said, the past is immutable. You can't do anything with that. All action is forward looking, looking to the future. And the triangle has to reflect that. And yet they want to go back and with the triangle when they lower the interest rate and all. Well, the past isn't immutable. We can stretch the production uh, uh, period or stages further back in, in history. Well, come on, give me a break. We're supposed to be Austrians. We're supposed to be, what is that term Joe uses? Causal realists or something like mm -hmm. that? Yeah, G Genetic causal, yeah. Yeah, genetic causal, causal realists, whatever, you know, but, you know. I, I wanted to mention another way of improving the triangle. I don't know if you can see it on here. This is our uh, figure 15. Uh, you really can't see it too well. Not only should we get a, a production triangle, but we should get a consumption one oh, yeah. where the consumption falls. I mean, if you're into improving the thing. That would but, be but that's only, you see, that's only if you're talking about a single production process. In other words, you put resources in, you produce, the goods come out, and then mm -hmm. you either consume them immediately, you know, if they're comestibles, if they're not, over time, they, they depreciate and they're gone. Yeah. I mean, this, this shirt my wife is probably going to throw out pretty soon because it's got so many holes in it. Yeah, you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think, and, I, and forgive me if, if you guys cite this in here, I don't remember seeing it, but I think John Hicks and his value in capital had a more mathematical approach that it was kind of like just a, a time thing and he had, you know, little sub-indices showing, you know, resources going in and, and outputs coming out. And it was, it was a more general sort of mathematical treatment of it that I think you're getting at that's at least more I realistic. That was, that was that value and capital, yeah, uh, or capital and growth. I, I don't remember, but anyway, but but that idea about having to have the consumption part in is an original with us, if I remember right. Jevons mm. did something like that. So, can, uh, regarding your point about the x-axis, you know, can it can only be one thing? You're saying, look, it's either time or it's the stages. Let me just play moderate devil's advocate here. Couldn't somebody just say, well, 
yeah, the x-axis, the units are, are time, and we're just saying, you know, somewhat arbitrarily, admittedly, that, oh, yeah, the st- stage one goes from zero to two months, and stage two goes from two months to six months, and to, so, like, why couldn't, in, in, in other fact, words, like, you wouldn't say, hey, the, the x-axis can't possibly be time and what month it is, like, you know, you'd say, well, it can be both, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but but time and stages are different. Time is one thing, whether you want to measure it in days, weeks, hours, minutes, mm. years, whatever. And uh, uh, stages are entirely different. Stages are entirely different. Be, but, but can you explain? Ex- because I'm just trying to pin down exactly what you are you saying? Because all right, so so here we go. Mm-hmm. I go mm-hmm. into the barber shop today. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we don't have to go back past today. He's already got his clippers and his scissors in the barber's chair and all that stuff, right? Yep. How many stages before I walk out with my haircut? Uh, I guess that'd probably be consumption. So I would say that's the last stage. Well, that's the last stage. But I'm saying how many stages of production from the time I walk in the door and sit in the chair? Mm -hmm. So now I just sat in the chair. We're going to start producing a haircut. How many stages, we can say it's going to take 20 minutes, but how many stages of production? And then we start with something else. Say, well, okay, we're going to start making a car today, but we're going to start looking at, we don't have any of the ingredients we need yet, so we got to go mine some coal. We have a mine, but we got to mine coal, mm-hmm. got to mine iron ore, we got to transport it, you know, and all that. How many stages there? I'd say that there's more stages to sure. making a car if we start right now mm-hmm. than there are stages to get my hair cut. Oh, okay. So I, I think what you're saying, just to put it in different words, you're saying if we want this triangle to possibly represent different production processes, then it's clear there's no one-to-one mapping of elapsed clock time in the duration of a given stage. Is, is that a fair thing to say? I, well, except I would say the whole concept of stages is incoherent. I would okay. just say you mm-hmm. talk about how, because look, why are we looking at the interest rate? What does that have to do with anything? We're discounting the value of the consumer goods back to now. The expected, cons- what, what's the expected value of the consumer goods that are going to come about because we're starting this production process now? Oh, well, the expected value, we got discounted back. Well, mm-hmm. Discounted back on what? On the number of stages? Is that what we're going to have as the discount factor, the number of stages? Or is it going to be time? The interest rate, you discount by the interest rate, right? Well, but I'm saying, but the interest rate is so much per annum. It's not so much per stage. True. And and, and Mm -hmm. a stage for one thing could be a different time period for most. The whole concept of stages is incoherent, Bob. Yeah, okay. I think I get Another example mm-hmm. is a pickup truck. Is it a consumer good? Is it a? It, if it helps in mining, then it's in an early stage. If it helps to take stuff from the, the floors house, to the house, yeah, right. mm-hmm. then it's a different stage. But it's the same pickup truck. Yeah, right. So where do you put it? Yeah. And the big thing is that, that, that I'm not the big. One of the big things is when they draw the triangle, they do it, and this is the production process for producing. This thing, and they said, "Well, the stages of production and all that." But the point is that if you think about making bread, okay, or, or, or making an automobile, there's some place right now where they're just starting to make an automobile assemble. Let me put it differently: to assemble an automobile, they've already got the engine, they've got the fenders, they got all that. Now they're starting to assemble it, right? Mm-hmm. 
But the assembly line right next to it, they started to assemble another car an hour ago. You see? Mm-hmm. How do you catch that with the triangles? Okay. And the answer is you don't. You don't. Yeah, I think I know what your answer is here, but let me, again, just I'm trying to push back so, to make sure people get the, the power of this critique. So, well, I like your example, like the pickup truck, you know, what what stage is it in or, you know, where couldn't you, we also though say, okay, and so this whole distinction between a capital good or a good of the fifth order and a consumer good is also spurious because, you know, some people might, to, to some people, a, a sandwich is a consumer good. But if you're a business owner who's feeding your workers at lunchtime, to you, the sandwiches are capital goods. And so mm-hmm. does that mean the distinction between a capital good and a consumption good is silly? No. No. It, it, this is Austrian economics. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about subjectivism. It's about what's going on in your head and Walter's head and my head. And you and I, like I mm-hmm. tell my students, even in the principal, I say, look, how about beef and pork? Mm-hmm. I say, substitutes to me i'm fine the price of beef goes up a little bit hell i'll eat pork chops i'm happy i am i say suppose i'm a a a, a real practicing orthodox jew or muslim mm-hmm. beef and pork aren't substitutes right they're just not you know right so i mean that the, the key what did hayek write what was that not was it the constitutional liberty no i, I forget what it was Early on, he's got a footnote, and I use it in whenever I teach Austrian economics. And it says, this was in 1962, I think he wrote it, and he says, every true or serious advance in economics in the last century has been due to an ever more forceful or greater application of subjectivism. And then he goes on and says, the person most responsible for that or who's done the most for that is Ludwig von Mises. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and it is perhaps because of, I forget his words, but intransigent or something in the way he just found and determined to do that and all, that people think he's a little oddball or something like that. And he doesn't have the influence he would have if, you know, if he was a little different, you know, but, but, but that's it, Bob, it's all subjective. And, and as soon as you say subjective and say, this really gets to me, you can throw out the math. Mm-hmm. So, out the math. so then, you know, so someone, someone might say, okay, so when you guys are bringing up the pickup truck, it depends what the subjective plan is of the person using it. But then is your point, okay, but then this triangle was not supposed to be what's in the head of one person. This was supposed to represent like the objective capital structure of the macro economy. And so you can't just say this is all in the mind of one planning entrepreneur's head. But if we're trying to understand purposeful human action, Mm -hmm. then there is nobody out there except some hubristic economist, okay, who thinks he's God, uh, who has in their mind the whole structure of the economy. What there is is Walter and Bob right now, the entrepreneur, who has their own little plan about doing things, right? And not worried. I mean, are you really worried about the structure of production of tea in China? Right. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that I, I – mean, and it's funny. You're, a lot of these things you're saying, I, when I would teach this stuff at the undergraduate level, I would catch myself and have to say, now it's true. It's not like the guy in the, in the manufacturing sector really cares about, you know, two stages ahead or three stages back. You know, he just sees it. So it's – it was sort of a, you know, all oh, the market prices percolate backwards and eventually in the new equilibrium, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> so I, I am agreeing that a lot of these things you're bringing up, I have run into the roadblocks myself when just trying to teach this. 
Uh, that's why it, it, this is just part of it. This triangle is 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 a methodological device, right? It's a pedagogical device. Mm-hmm. But you go back and you say, look, what is this all about? Walter and I won't agree. He's going to use the, the, the P word. Uh, but uh, I, I try and avoid that as much as I can. Praxeology. Oh, praxeology. Uh, yeah, but, I didn't know which P word you meant either. <laughs> I've heard of that. <laughs> but, but to me, I say, look, what is this all about? Why are Austrians different from the mainstream, whether it's Marxists or neo-Marxists or uh, uh, the, the, the neoclassists or whatever, you know, post-Keynesians or whatever? It's our methodology. It's our Mm -hmm. methodology. How we go about trying to understand human action, purposeful human action. We think in terms of individuals, so methodological individualism, methodological subjectivism, that thing I just quoted you from a quasi quote Mm -hmm. from uh, Hayek, um, you know, and and then all the other things that that we do with our methodology, including deduction, you know, and, and that type of thing. Taking into account the true, and this is the triangle, one little thing, the true heterogeneity of the real world, whether it's the heterogeneity of you versus Walter or the heterogeneity of this desk versus the desk you're sitting at right now or whatever, the true heterogeneity and in the face of the true uncertainty of the Knightian type, right? Not Mm -hmm. risk, but uncertainty. You know, and, and all those things that we feed into our methodology where we go about trying to understand, and, and what's the word Mises uses, I think, Verstehen, right? Mm-hmm. Other people have used uh, and gotten called on it for, for talking about hermeno- hermeneutics, right? Uh, but but the idea is the, we're trying to make this intelligible in terms of what's going on in the mind of acting man. Okay, let me, at this point, let's pivot and so I think people could probably most listeners, I'm sure, understand what you're saying. And maybe some of your criticisms they think are, are you know, serious and others, ah, eh, not a big deal. But usually with something like this, what people want to know is, OK, what do I have to give up if I accept your critique? So, for example, can we still believe in Austrian standard, you know, Misesian business cycle theory if we take all your criticisms seriously? Absolutely. That's what I research. That's what I write about. That's what mm-hmm. I study. That's what I try and teach my more advanced students, you know, of course, of course. But it does tell us that, it, to my way of thinking, that it, it means we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have all the answers. But if you ask me, what what is the closest we can come right now to understanding fluctuations, as Hayek would have said, it's it's the Austrian business cycle theory. And actually, ironically, there's no triangle in human action or in, in any of me. So it's kind of funny that I just said, oh, do we have to give up Mises' theory without the triangle? And Mises himself didn't use the triangle. So maybe no, that's the not answer. Not only is there not a triangle, there are no supply and demand curves either. Right. The articles that Bill and I wrote had the title something like, uh, Mises never had supply and demand curves. Was he wrong? Or yeah, well, the title was the anti-mathematicality of uh, demand curves. What, supply and demand. Well, the, the title just said oh, demand. Oh, we're, and, and the point is, you, you, Bob, you know enough math. I, I know a demand curve slopes downward, right? Mm-hmm. So you got quantity on one axis, price on the other, and you got some other variables, right, that have to be to locate the downward sloping curve in that space, right? Mm-hmm. Like income, prices. Right, right. So you pick one point on the curve, 
and you go down and you say, okay, the price comes down and we go over here. In terms of pure math, that's a, a line, a straight line. That's easy enough to understand. You can write the equation if it's y and x, y equals a minus bx. You know, that'd be a nice straight line downward sloping. But in economics, we have to ask, why does it slope downward? And as soon as you say, well, because the marginal utility is lower down here, you know, at a lower price than it is at the higher price, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you've introduced a variable. It's not in anybody's, you know, in books, textbooks, anything, in any of the demand functions. Mm -hmm. People leave it out. And my point is, as soon as you put it in, you don't have, you can't use demand curves anymore. Now, I haven't given those up because for the freshmen, you, you, you have to use that. You that's, know? Right, right. that's exactly the way I think of the triangle. Yeah, but you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you this. So, are you, do you, hmm, do you think there's any sense in which, uh, so when, it, when the interest rate comes down, are you okay saying entrepreneurs invest in projects that are longer than there are adequate savings to finance? Or do you think even that's too aggregative of a statement? If, if the interest rate comes down because of artificial bank manipulation, obviously. I was going to suggest that. Yeah. Uh, someplace, I think Walt and I wrote this together, but I'm, I'm not sure. Make, we make the point that, you know, if you increase the supply of loanable funds, you know, using a loanable funds grab, mm -hmm. the interest rate comes down, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily true. See, we got to get into people's heads. So the bank gets more reserves or whatever, and it you know, increases the supply of loanable funds, so interest rates come down because the demand for loanable funds slope downward, right? Mm -hmm. But suppose the banks look at that and say, well, we have an alternative. And what is that? Well, Remember, and, and this is it's what, why we got to know our math to stand up to these people, okay? Because they use the math. And they all, every, remember, every time you draw a graph, you got math behind it, okay? Mm -hmm. Every curve has an equation, okay? So you, you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute. Think about the demand for loanable funds. As you move down the curve, the interest rate's going down and the quantity of loanable funds demanded is going up, right? Okay, we, we see yeah. that. But everything else is being held constant, okay? Well, one of the things that's being held constant is the risk factor. So now, if the supply of loanable funds increases, but the bank says, oh, my God, you know, the interest rate's going to be so low. I don't know. I, I like that. You know what? I'm going to try and keep the interest rate up. How? Well, I'm going to allow borrowers who before I would have considered too risky to now borrow. In other words, I am going to shift the demand curve outward. Think about that. The bank is going to shift the demand curve for loanable funds outward by letting less creditworthy borrowers into the market. Now, if they shift the demand curve outward, right, then the interest rate won't fall as far as it would have. Might not even go down at all if they shift it out far enough. Sort of like a Giffen good. No, not like a given good because, you know, now what you've got is the the supply of loanable funds, the bank increases that and then says, uh-oh, this is going to be problematical. Let's increase the demand for our funds. How can we increase the demand for our funds? Look what they're doing in the credit markets right now. Letting anybody and his brother come in and borrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just to make sure the listener's not getting lost there. Because what you're saying, Bill, is because normally people are like, wait a minute, how could the, the supply side have anything? 
Because you're saying when we draw like the demand for loanable funds, if there's one crazy guy who says, hey, I even at a thousand percent interest rate, you know, I'm going to build a, a time machine and go back and bet on all the sporting events. Sure. So I'd be willing to borrow a quadrillion dollars. Sure. We're not going to plot that point on the demand curve because we're going to say that doesn't count. The banks won't take him seriously. And so well, we, yeah, we're building in like bank. borrowers of a certain credit quality when we draw a yeah. demand curve. Yeah, exactly. The, and mm-hmm. the banks decide what that is. Right. The banks, you and I, you and I go into the bank and they look at us as equally credit worthy. You're willing to pay 6%. I'm not willing to pay. I'm only willing to pay 5%, right? Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, we're only lending to Bob. And then they say, uh-oh, we got more reserves. Let's lend some more money out. Well, we got to lower the interest rate to 5% to get Barnett in. Barnett's the same credit worthiness as Bob. He just says, you know, I'm not going to borrow money at that high interest rate. So they say, but my God, 5%, that's too low. Oh, look. There's, there's Walter Block. Walter Block's credit rating isn't as good as Barnett or, or as, as Bob Murphy's, okay? But we're going to lend to him because he'll pay 6%, mm-hmm. okay? So, yep. I, I mean, that, I mean I, to me, I, and I get headaches with this, Bob, sometimes, seriously, but I always go back to the title of the magnum opus, human action, what we're trying to do, why are we doing this? What is our purpose? What are we trying to understand? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I do that, human action, Walter's got different stuff going on up in there than I do, and you've got different stuff than I do, and you've got different stuff than Walter, and we got to figure all that out together. And too much of this stuff, and as soon as you try and put it in mathematical language, whether it's graphs or anything, it's just a it, – it's full math. Mm-hmm. Bob, uh, we uh, agreed to a lot, one hour to this, and we've got like two minutes. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to make a, a sort of a closing statement. If sure. I could, yeah. Unless you have another question that you want to do. So the, I'm looking at, I'm rereading your you know, opening paragraphs. The only thing that you mentioned here that we haven't touched on is you say the triangle doesn't include leisure. So I don't know if you want to deal with it or just say, ah, that's not a yeah. huge point. I, well, you, you can imagine on the vertical axis, it says consumer goods. But mm-hmm. But again, that's, that's typical nonsense from economics. Consumer goods, I mean, leisure is a consumer good. Right, okay. But we don't mm-hmm. put a price on it. And so, like, if, if people, the triangle's not taking into account the fact that we get more capital and uh, capitalistic, people work shorter work weeks, for example. And that's Amen. not showing up in the, okay, yep. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, well, at this point, yeah, maybe if did, maybe both of you, like, so, Walter, do you want to give your summary statement as to why the triangle, though flawed, should still be taught? And then, Bill, do you want to say why he's, too moderate? Is that, is that a good way to wrap this up? <laughs> you know, little kids, if you ask a little kid, do you want one candy now or 10 candies tomorrow? The kid's going to take one right now. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have a short, fat triangle if, if the economy was composed of kids. Mm-hmm. People our age, uh, uh, we have a lower time preference. We would have a longer, thinner triangle. I think there's some sense and there's some value in that. On the other hand, uh, you know, fixing up the triangle by making it a trapezoid or by putting the uh, start at the right side rather than the left side. Uh, we're worrying about uh, uh, one axis doing two jobs. I think those are just ways of um, uh, putting uh, lipstick on the pig. The key is that as we started with this um, interview was that what we want ideally is a vertical line. We don't want any triangle at all. 
So the triangle, while it, it has some value for me, like supply and demand has, it's it's still um, it's highly problematic from an intellectual point of view. But you still think it's worth retaining and and, and using? Yeah, he I, does. I do. Yeah, and here's, now, mm-hmm. here's where Bill and I diverge. Okay, yeah, and you know, uh, to me, the real world of heterogeneity and the complexity of the real world is just far too great to catch with one little diagram. And I think more than that, yes, if you're trying to get a five-year-old interested, maybe, but if you're really trying to get people who are going to think about it all, then you don't want to oversimplify it, make it simplistic. You want to let them see. And then they say, okay, we can put that aside. We can still understand Austrian business cycle theory without these little trivial child's Mm -hmm. toys, these triangles. Mm -hmm. And I would close with one thought that why you know I'm right and he's wrong. (laughs) Bob, I'm so much better looking than him. (laughs) that, That You have to know that that's what counts. Yeah. Um, this is really great. I enjoyed it, but I have an appointment at 2.30. i got to okay. get out of here. If sure. you want to do again, we'd be happy. We yeah. Okay, we great. We scratched yeah. all the surface. We yeah. scratched the surface, but yeah. if you want to do more, I think Bill and I would be happy to do sure, it. Sure, thanks. Week. Great. Yeah, so I really appreciate your time. So, folks, this has been Walter Block and Bill Barnett. Uh, thanks so much for your time, guys. We really appreciate it. And, folks, it's bobmurphyshow.com slash 67. I'll give links to their paper and their other works. So thanks, guys, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Take care, Bob. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.